Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis, Romans, and 1 Corinthians. First from Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and chapter 3, verses 17 to 19. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Lastly, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 to 26, and verses 35 to 49. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and at his coming those who belong to Christ, and comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust, and second man is from heaven. As was a man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. This is the word of the Lord.
said you persevered. Good morning. And greet one another and bless one another by saying, You are created by God in His own image. All right, you can walk around and greet at least five people if you want to walk around and give a hug or fist bump. You are God's image bearers. Good morning to you, those of you who are joining us in the First Year Chapel, parents with children, infants, toddlers. Good to see you all. I see some new faces. Welcome to our church, uh, our Sunday gathering. We are going through a sermon series called The Image of God from Genesis 1 to 11, and I mentioned how we'll be spending a bulk of our first maybe four, five, six, seven, even a month and a half on the first three chapters. Um, We're not going to just end there, uh, but creation account, as we see in Genesis, is so significant, so foundational for us to understand who we are. We don't end there, but we have to begin there. Last week, we looked at how image of God includes our body. When God created the first parents, Adam and Eve, God created their bodies to reflect the beauty of God. We saw how God handcrafted human beings. God is the master artist. The earth is God's museum. And you, you and I, we are nothing other than God's handiwork, God's great work of art. Our bodies are like a beautiful clay pot or pottery, uh, a pottery that is to be filled with God's love, God's wisdom, God's power, God's presence. And when we look at human beings created in the image of God, human beings who are fully alive are glorious. Look at Jesus. Anybody who comes to know Jesus, who is true human being, as we are meant to be, or mature to become, he is glorious. He's more beautiful than anything else that God created. Recently, I was in Niagara, and you look at the Niagara Fall, and it's stunning. It's beautiful. God's creation is beautiful. Nature is beautiful. Uh, there was a, a family that I you know, just kind of uh, ran into, and they had two little ones, two babies, one infant, one toddler, and the father was saying, isn't that fall beautiful? Uh, and I actually said, you know what? Your child is more beautiful. And then he goes, oh, thank you, thank you. I, I was thinking about this, this reality of human beings created in the image of God and how gloriously, how beautifully we are crafted by God. And I wasn't just saying it, I meant it. We, we look around and we see people and we easily forget, I easily forget the image 
bearing mark in each of you, each person who are made in God's image. The earth is God's museum. We are God's work of art. But we also come to recognize from our experience that something's, something's wrong with us. This, this work of art, this museum, something's wrong. Yes, our body is fearfully and wonderfully made, but they also cause us pain. Um, I stand this morning with lots of pain in my body. I have, I have tennis elbow, I have wrist pain, I have back pain often, and as we grow older, we just get injured, not from playing sports, but just from getting up out of bed. That's, uh, that's, that's the reality. We suffer from headache, different kinds of body pain, and some of you this morning are in a, a, in a physical pain. Some of you have COVID. Some of you have different kinds of illnesses, and you had to stay home. The pain is real. Suffering is real. Something's awfully wrong. It's as though the museum has been vandalized. It's as though the pottery is stained, not just stained, stuffed with junks, some even shattered. So though we start with the creation story from Genesis 1 and 2, we cannot and should not stop there. We must look at what happened after the creation story that is so beautiful. We have to look at Genesis 3 all the way to the end to understand our problem and also how God provides solution to our problems. So on the one hand, because we are created and we live in a created world, our bodies are a gift from God. On the other hand, because we live in this fallen world, our bodies may not be the gift that you and I would want to have. Our bodies are broken. So today, uh, we're going to look at our bodies after the fall, our bodies in restoration, and our bodies in perfection. So last week was bodies in creation from Genesis 2, mainly. Today we're going to look at bodies after the fall, in restoration, and in perfection. I want to give you a, a big picture, and I will end with a couple of applications at the end of the message. So first, our bodies after the fall. And this is our present experience with our body. Our bodies after the fall is marked with shame, sickness, and death. Shame, sickness, and death. So first, shame. Before the fall, Adam and Eve were very comfortable and at peace with who they are. There was no sense of shame, no dysphoria, no discomfort, no confusion. They are in harmony with God, with one another, with themselves, with their bodies. Look at Genesis 2.23. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. 
naked and unashamed. That highlights their openness and transparency, their wholeness in their body image, in their mind. Again, because there's this beautiful harmony with God and his creation with one another and within themselves. Now, after the fall, after disharmony with God, disconnection from God, after they turn their backs against God, something radically changed internally first. They experience what we call shame. When their harmony with God is broken, their harmony with one another and within themselves is also broken. They're no longer open and transparent. They cover themselves because they are uncomfortable with who they are. So look at Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, Adam and Eve. Their eyes were opened. But it's more than the physical eyes, something internal. They knew that they were naked. Well, they were always naked, but something happened internally, and they come to recognize that, hmm, I'm naked, and then I don't feel comfortable. So what they do? They sawed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They cover themselves. Shame, one could define it as a sense of unease with yourself at the heart of your being. Shame is a sense of unease, uncomfortableness with yourself at the heart of your being. Before anybody tells you that something's wrong with you, you feel uncomfortable about yourself. Some, something's off within you. You're not being able to be comfortable with yourself as you are. And of course, you're not comfortable in the presence of another being, another person before God before even your spouse, your family, and friends, you hide things. You fear people, people's judgment, anxiety and depression, and a sense of worthlessness are all related to this sense of shame. And isn't it true that all of us struggle with the sense of shame to one way or the other? That's the reality of the fallenness. Not only do we experience shame after the fall, we experience various kinds of sickness. Sicknesses like COVID, cancer, Alzheimer, diabetes, pneumonia, meningitis, all different kinds of physical pain after the fall is the reality of human beings. Physical and mental disorders, defects and disabilities like blindness, deafness, learning disabilities, Down syndrome and autism, you can, the list could go on and on all result of the fall. Some of the pains, the physical pains, the mental pains are due to our own sin, yes, but some pain is from others wrong, been done to us, 
So we are sufferers, not just sinners. And it's not always that a person's suffering is due to that person's personal sin. So we cannot judge other people for what they're going through or what their family's going through because that, that co-relationship between sin and suffering are not always direct. So we must be careful not to associate sickness of someone to that person's sin or the person's parents' sin. As, as you remember in Jesus um, encountering a man uh, with physical pain and disciples asking Jesus, is that person in pain and suffering because of his own sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither. Um, you can't box God in. I think it's more complex. Our, our experience of suffering is more complex. The point that Jesus makes is, as we'll see later, whatever suffering you may go through, ultimately it will reveal God's glory. That's Jesus' answer. That person's in that state to reveal, to show God's glory. But we know that all suffering is rooted in sin. So Sam Elberry says this, anyone's suffering is a sign of everyone's sin. It's the original sin or the fall that results in all of our suffering, that we are broken, all of us, in one way or the other, since the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve. Now, not only do we experience shame and sickness after the fall, the ultimate result of the fall is death, both physical death and spiritual death. First, physical death. Look at Genesis 3.19 that we just heard it read. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it, out of the ground, you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From dust you came, and to dust you shall return. That is the sobering reality of all of us, no exception. Physically, we kind of keep ongoing. I mean, you look at Genesis 5, and we see that Adam lived actually 930 years. That's a long time. And that's that, that, that long year reflects the grace of God, the power of God. I mean, we were meant to live forever, as we saw last week. Death was not immediate, but it was inevitable for Adam and all his children, including us. It's like someone jumping off the cliff when you saw the sign, like, don't jump, because you're going to die. You jump off the cliff, and then you're like, oh, I didn't die. You're falling, you're falling, you're enjoying the ride. Huh, I don't die. See, I told you, I'm not going to die. And bam, you die. It will come. You, that, that, that is what God said. You eat that fruit, I bless you. You can enjoy everything. I created this beautiful garden. 
all that you need and all that you can enjoy for your good. Enjoy. But don't eat that because that belongs to me. You're a creature. I love you. Trust me, God said. They went ahead and ate, and they died. So Keller says this, Tim Keller, no one can avoid death. It's been said that all the wars and plagues have never raised the death toll. It's always been one for each and every person. You've got to accept that. Now, death means more than the physical cessation of life. Physical death is a result of a spiritual death. There's something deeper than just a physical death. Spiritual death is a separation from God who is source of life. Once you're disconnected from God who made you, who is source of your life, you're living and yet you're not living fully. So Genesis 3, 23 to 24 says this, The Lord God sent Adam out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life, lest he and his wife and his children may live forever in their sinfulness. The museum has been vandalized. The pots have been cracked. And God doesn't want his creation to suffer forever. This preventing Adam and Eve from eating from the tree of life and to live forever in their sin and suffering is God's grace. We're going to talk about that later. So Ephesians 2.1 says, We are dead in our trespasses. And sins. Revelation 3 1 says, You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now, you're talking about more than physical death, spiritual death. Again, if you're disconnected from God of living, God who made you, you may be living, you may have the reputation of life or, or having life. You, have, you may have breath in your nostrils, but you are not fully alive. Spiritually, you are dead. Basically, there's no place to turn which is not tainted by the fall. Shame, sickness, death are everywhere in every person's experience. And at the root of our shame and sickness and death is sin and sin is not more than what we do. It's fundamentally defined as our rebellion against God. Sin has to do with fundamentally our relationship with God. It's deciding ourselves to be God. It's de-godding of God. And in place of God, you choose to be God. I choose what is good and evil. I choose what is good and bad. I choose what is right and wrong. Don't anyone tell me. I do it. And that's the human history. The survival of the fittest and the smartest. And more powerful. No humility. 
Pushing God out of his rightful place was not just a mistake. It was an intentional, chosen rebellion. And for all of us who are born of Adam, the first Adam, that's, that's in our DNA. We don't like to be told what to do, right? We see that even in young children, older children, in everyone, unless you're born again by the second Adam. So whenever we don't listen to God, we don't want to listen to God, and doing life without reference to God, we are living in this reality of sin and death, and the wage of sin is death. Death is the ultimate proof that we are so broken. In fact, the death is the ultimate proof that something's awfully wrong, and it's meant to cause us to not just look inside to figure out, but look up. Shame is meant to push us toward God's mercy. Sickness is meant to push us towards God's healing. Death is meant to push us towards God's life. So in our fallenness, we are meant to cry out Romans 7.24. Paul says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me and save me and rescue me, heal me, restore me from this body of death and sickness and suffering and shame? And the good news is, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So we come to the second point, our bodies in restoration. Our bodies in restoration. Our God is not just our creator. God is God who restores us, redeems us. So God comes to us in Christ to restore our life, including our bodies. Incarnation of God, God taking on the flesh, body, is miracle of all miracles. So John 1, verse 1, 14 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That is, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus was in the beginning with God the Father. All things were made through Jesus, and without Jesus was not anything made that was made, and the Word became flesh. Wow. You have to stop there, like, Word became flesh. God who created everything took on flesh and dwelt, tabernacled, tented among us. We've seen his glory, the glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' incarnation is the highest complement to human body. Again, as we saw, our body's not evil. We're not supposed to escape our body. We are supposed to take care of our body. Body is God's gift. We've messed up. 
but God restores. God not only thought of our body up and then enjoyed putting billions of bodies together on the face of the earth, God made one for himself. Huh. There's nothing like this in any religion, any philosophy. Christianity is one and only belief that we say God became human, took on a flesh. Not only that, God who took on the flesh gave up, gave his body to restore our body and to give us new life. So Matthew 26, as many of you know, Jesus, the first communion with his disciples, takes a bread, blesses it, breaks it as a symbolic gesture that his body will be broken for us, gives to the disciples and says, take this, this broken piece of bread, which symbolizes my body. Eat it. Eat my flesh. This is my body. Because the ultimate answer to our bodily brokenness is the broken body of Jesus. Unless you consume, receive, eat of the broken body of Jesus, you will not be healed fundamentally. And this is wonder of all wonders. God of all creation, taking on the flesh of men, serving with his hands, speaking words of life, and then going to the cross, giving his body as a ransom for many, offering himself for people like us who are created out of dust of the ground. Praise be to God. So Jesus was born in a body. He lived in a body. He died in a body. He was raised with a new body. He ascended into heaven with his new resurrected body. And he will forever exist in his new body. There is now a human body sitting at the right hand of God the Father, at the very center of the universe. Did you ever think about that? And for those of us who turn to Christ, who come to realize, you know what, this life is not meant to live by my own effort, my will, my preference, my plan. I'm not supposed to play God. It's foolish to play God. And it's wise to acknowledge that there's a creator who created me in his beautiful image. My life is broken. Come to realize that Jesus came to be broken for me. What a savior, what a beautiful savior and creator who loves me. I give my life to this creator. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be restored in our relationship with God the Creator, God who saves us, God who loves us, God who will take care of us, God who will perfect us. 
And when we do that, when we give ourselves to this God who loves us, who gave his body as a ransom for many, we receive the gift of new creation. So if you are sitting here today or listening online and was wondering what is this Christian faith all about, it's all about coming back to your creator, coming back to your heavenly father, humbling yourself, acknowledging that I'm no God, I need God, I'm a creature. I'm not meant to play God like the way I have been. I need to return to the original design. And it's good to be back home under the loving care of God the Father. Then our shame is turned into beauty, our sickness turned into wholeness, our death turned into life. Fellow brothers and sisters, Christians, we are new creation in Christ. Jesus makes our broken lives anew. Again, God is the greatest master artist. There's no one like him. And he uses broken pieces, broken pottery to make something even more beautiful. Above and beyond our imagination. It's like the Japanese artwork, Kintsugi. For those of you who know this, Kintsugi, I love this concept. Kin is gold. Tsugi means to connect. It's a method in a Japanese art, repairing broken potteries with golden seals or gold seals. You see, in the, when you look at that, you need to think, that's, that's me in the making. That, that's, that's my story. It's a philosophy. Behind, uh, the, the philosophy behind Kintsugi is to recognize the history of the object, the broken pod or bowl, and to visibly incorporate the repair instead of hiding it or disguising it. Don't hide brokenness. The scars, the failures are not hidden. It's actually highlighted with gold. It's beautified with gold. And the process results in something more beautiful and distinct than the original. One artist says this, Kintsugi, the spirit behind this Kintsugi art is breathing new life into broken pieces. I love it. I love it. I think we should get one of those Kintsugi bowls in our homes and use it in our kitchen tables, reminding ourselves, this is me. This is us because this is who we are. This is what God has done through us in our lives. Our lives are marked with brokenness. Many of us try to hide it. Don't need to. If you truly believe 
in Jesus who heals you, who loves you, who puts your life back together. And it's a process. I'm told that kintsugi requires an intense, long days to do it. Some more shattered than others. But the blood of Jesus heals us instead of gold. We have Christ's blood that connects us back to God the Father, connects ourselves, our broken selves, into wholeness, our broken relationship with others, reconnecting us. And through God's work of kintsugi in our lives, the glory of Christ is revealed even brighter. So for those of you who feel like, man, you don't know my story. My life is so broken, pastor. My marriage is so broken. I'm so broken, I was actually thinking of committing suicide this week. You don't know what you're talking about, pastor. I don't know your story. We have our own unique stories. I have mind brokenness. But please, remember and believe, believe. It's a matter of faith. God who made you can remake you. God is greater than any Japanese kintsugi artist all put together. Your shameful past, your failures in the hands of the master artist, God our creator and redeemer, can and will restore you. Even if you may not be saying amen vocally, you should say amen in faith now. Please do. Believe that. And you know what? Church is an art gallery of kintsugi. Broken lives made new. Some of us, some of us um, are relatively put together. Some of us are still so broken, it's not recognizable what the original design was. But none of us are made perfect. Everyone's in the process, and church is a place where we experience a kintsugi artwork of God by the power of his spirit. I love Isaiah 61. God turns ashes into beauties. God turns faint spirit into garment of praise. We are given strength and vision to rebuild the ancient ruins Raise up the former devastations to repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. It, it's the glory of God that shines through our ruins, and we call that glorious ruin. So 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. We are all broken jars of clay and we are meant to show that the surpassing power belongs not to us but to god all of us are being repaired by christ and beautified by him by the work of his spirit that is my testimony your testimony 
our testimony. Now, when it comes to death, because Christ is in us, the resurrected one who conquered death, and we belong to Jesus who overcame death, we, as followers of Jesus, do not fear death. We are fearless before the face of death. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? For death is swallowed up in victory by Jesus Christ and his resurrection. So even now, for those of us who believe in Jesus, who have Christ in us, we have eternal life now. Though we die, we don't die fully. Death is simply a doorstep into a new stage of this eternal life. Now, when it comes to sickness, it's a little more complicated because we experience healing. One of the things that Jesus did was to heal physical bodies that were suffering from years of pain. Um, and we experience that sometimes. Many times we don't. Um, it's not complete, the healing that is, on this side of heaven. So Sam Alberry in his book, uh, What God Says About Our Body, says this, we are running new creation software in old creation hardware. I think that's a good way to put. We are running, as ones who are redeemed by Jesus, we are running new creation software. Our inner beings are renewed every day by his Spirit, on an old creation hardware, our outer selves are wasting away. We have pain, we have ache, and we will die. Sickness and pain we still experience. We still await the full restoration of our body when Jesus comes back. So Romans 8 says this, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our, not soul, not spirit, of our bodies. So lastly, our bodies in perfection. So after we die, we will have a new body, a resurrected body. No more tennis elbow, no more back pain, no more Sudden pain when you try to just get up out of bed in the morning. No more arthritis, no more depression, no more suffering, no more death. Many of us have grown up with this idea of, okay, after we die, we become like angels, we'll be flowing around, maybe we have wings, we'll be existing in a disembodied soul in heaven floating around that's a teaching in greek philosophy by plato it's not in the bible it's not in my bible it's not in the christian bible it's a false teaching actually we will live with body like remember jesus had body he ate fish with his resurrected body in the seashore of galilee with his disciples he ascended to heaven with his body. We're going to have a resurrected body. We're going to have a physical body with which we will eat in the heavenly banquet with our mouth, working with our hands, singing with our lips, and walking with God and together with the saints in the new heavens and the new 
earth. New earth. It's not just heaven, it's new heavens and the new earth. So Philippians 3 says this, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. More in detail, in 1 Corinthians 15, we just read, having read long passage, I can't get into it, looking at the time. We will be transformed in our body to have a spiritual, glorious body. Just to highlight verses 35 and 40 and 44. If someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body do they come? There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. Currently, you and I have earthly body. Still with pain in old creation. But the glory of the heavenly body is of one kind. The glory of the earthly is of another. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And we will have a spiritual and heavenly body in the new heavens and the new earth. I have to land the plane. Yes. I think Mike's going to go out now. Give me two minutes. I'm going to land the plane. So in the meantime, as we await the perfection of our body with the new resurrected body, how shall we live with this earthly body that we have currently? Romans 12:1 says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We are to bring every element of our body to glorify God. Not to use it for our selfish gains and sin, but to serve God and his purpose. So brothers and sisters, let's offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, our mouth to encourage one another, not to curse one another. Hands to serve one another, not to tear one another. Every part of our body for the glory of God, for God has not only created you, God has redeemed you and purchased your body so that we may glorify him with our body. Let's pray together. I'm going to give you a couple minutes to respond to what was shared. Many of us experience shame and sickness, even fear of death, grief over death. I want all of us this morning to come to Christ who is Lord over shame and sickness and death. He is the master artist. He will, he promises, make us new. He is making all things new, including your life, including this very church, the body of Christ.
So, Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. First, the broken body of Christ who gave himself up for us so that we can have the possibility and hope of new creation. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who breathed into us new life in Jesus, who creates us anew, who redeems the lost days and failures, and you beautify us. You do kintsugi on us. May our church be a place where broken lives are made new. May we be people who celebrate your beautiful work of restoring our brokenness. You turn beauties, you turn brokenness into beauties. May we be a museum of people who show and showcase your amazing work of art restoration as we await perfection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.